0: Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories an overserved attorney gets a little too enthusiastic during a holiday party roast of a judge and now faces disciplinary action. New financial disclosure legislation would make it easier for litigants and concerned citizens to check whether their judges have financial conflicts and the contractual, constitutional, and economic consequences of Florida's revocation of the special improvement district status of the land where Disney World currently sits are far bigger than you may think as the culture war rages on. All that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first, a lawyer who called a judge and A-hole at a holiday party was suspended for six months, the whole six months, from practicing law in the state of Ohio. And I'm quoting from the ABA Journal here. During the party, the Bar Association presented a mock award to a judge who was then on the Logan County Court of Common Pleas. The attorney, who had consumed alcohol at the event and appeared to be intoxicated, loudly and rudely interrupted the presentation. She used the F word to describe the judge and also called him a piece of s h i t and an a-hole. Okay. So the Ohio Supreme Court found that the attorney violated the rules that quote, require a lawyer to conduct him or herself with the dignity and respect that is commiserate with his or her role as an officer of the court to encourage civility and to preserve public confidence in the legal system, unquote. So I looked into the attorney and I'm not naming names because we don't pile on on this show or try to get people who messed up into bigger trouble, but it is a bit of a funny story as far as I can tell. Uh, The Ohio Bar Association was presenting the judge with a mock award that involved a roast where the lawyers lightly jabbed at the judge with sort of lighthearted insults, and apparently the attorney in question went a little overboard, calling the judge a piece of shit and an asshole. Unsurprisingly, testimony indicated that the attorney was intoxicated at the time. Now, I should note that this attorney had faced other disciplinary issues in the past. Anyone who's been in the industry, really any professional industry, not just the law, Knows that holiday parties can get a little rowdy, but folks, stick to beer and mix in a few waters, if you know what I mean. And as far as you think it might be funny to call a judge a piece of shit, it's not, I promise you. Not that I've ever had a negative thought about any of the judges I practice in front of, some of whom might listen to this show. Next, in more judicial news, in a rare show of bipartisanship, Congress passed the Courthouse Ethics and Transparency Act this week, which is now going to President Biden to be passed into law. The law aims to make disclosure requirements for federal and U.S. Supreme Court judges much stricter and presumably would lead to an increase in recusals for those judges in cases where they might have a financial conflict. The bill was introduced after the Wall Street Journal actually reported that something like 130 federal judges failed to recuse themselves in situations where they ought to have, according to a Reuters report that I'm relying on for this. Quoting from Reuters, quote, This is simply unacceptable. Democratic Representative Deborah Ross, who sponsored the House version, told Reuters ahead of the vote. The judiciary should be subject to the same requirements as the legislative and executive branches. Our federal judiciary is the envy of the world, and Congress has an obligation to ensure that this hard-earned reputation is maintained. House Judiciary Committee Chair Democratic Rep. Gerald Nadler said at a hearing related to the bill. Now, under this legislation, judges would have a 45-day window where they'd have to report trades of over $1,000. The Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts must also create a searchable and publicly accessible online database of judicial financial disclosure forms posted within 90 days of being filed. It calls for the database to be online within 180 days of the enactment of this law, though the judiciary can obtain extensions. For my non-litigators out there, litigants can seek disclosure information from federal judges now, but those disclosures are only filed once per year, and they often take months to get a response from. So you're getting out-of-date information by at least several months if you are worried about the financial conflict of interest of your judge. Now, in general, I doubt that the federal judiciary is doing a whole lot of like insider trading or anything like that, but I, I guess it's possible. And cases involving maybe huge market cap companies, think of the J&J talc lawsuits or maybe some of the opioid lawsuits, in cases like that, as a litigant, you would want to be very clear that the judge isn't worried about how a ruling on their motion for summary judgment, for example, might impact their 401k. In any event, this legislation is set to be signed into law this week, and the online searchable databases will, should be online within this year. And for our last story, the exhaustingly endless culture war rages on, and like Virgil leading Dante through lower and lower levels of hell, I am here, dear audience, to talk to you about how the most recent salvo of grievance airing is impacted by the law. Two weeks ago, the state of Florida passed a bill that purports to dissolve Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District. Don't worry, I'll explain what that is and why that's important. An article in Bloomberg suggests that it's practically impossible to implement, however. Now, I'm going to be relying heavily on a piece by land use attorney Jacob Schumer, who's based in Florida and who was published in Bloomberg Tax. So we'll start with what is the Reedy Creek Improvement District, and what are improvement districts in the state of Florida? So improvement districts are independent special districts that are usually reserved for specific purposes, like stormwater or hospital system, things like that. They typically have funding arrangements via property taxes, and basically, as far as I can tell, being designated as an improvement district grants the operator of the district, which is a private landowner, by the way power to effectively operate as a municipality. Now, Reedy Creek, the area where Disneyland is in Florida, has broad power under its enabling legislation. It can build roads, it can create sewage, power utilities, things like that. Importantly, it is exempt from all Ossicola and Orange County's regulations on building, zoning, construction, safety, sanitation, and anything else that would otherwise be, quote, essential to Reedy Creek's purposes. It can also impose taxes at higher rates than the surrounding municipalities, and it can raise money like other municipalities do by issuing bonds. Here is where Jacob Schumer points out something interesting. It can issue bonds based on property taxes that it collects, and the statute that authorizes this practice is very specific, and I'll read it to you here. The state of Florida pledges to holders of any bonds issued under this act that it will not limit or alter the rights of the district to own, acquire, construct, reconstruct, improve, maintain, operate, or furnish the projects or to levy and collect any taxes, assessments, rentals, rates, fees, tolls, fares, and other charges provided for herein. Until such bonds together with interest thereon and all costs and expenses in connection with any action or proceeding by or on behalf of such holders are fully met and discharged, unquote. Translation, the state of Florida will not alter Reedy Creek's abilities to pay its obligations to its bondholders until those bondholders are fully paid. So, how big is the debt that's owed to bondholders, by the way? Reporter Sarah Rump, a native Orlandian, writes the total debt is over a billion dollars, and that debt will be transferred to the adjoining counties if the dissolution of Reedy Creek goes through. That would end up being about $2,500 per household, she estimates, which I guarantee is not something that Florida legislators foresaw when they passed this legislation. Going back to the Bloomberg tax article, and here's another twist I'm quoting from the piece. Quote, These difficult questions point to the basic contractual issue. By dissolving Reedy Creek, the legislature essentially rewrote the promises made in the district's bond offerings. Instead of bonds backed by a special district with the power to levy certain taxes, the property tax bonds will be backed jointly by two governments that can only generate a maximum income which is less than what Reedy Creek could do. Instead of a unified system with special powers to charge various fees supported by special taxing powers, utility revenue bonds will be jointly managed by two counties, subject to additional taxing and spending restrictions. So, by unilaterally changing the contractual terms of the bondholder agreements, the state of Florida may be violating its own and the U.S. federal constitution. The piece also cites to a U.S. Supreme Court decision from 1867, Von Hoffman versus the city of Quincy where a municipality got in trouble with its bond payments that were being paid by special tax collections. The U.S. Supreme Court held that the state cannot eliminate the tax-collecting power that supports the bond debts. So there are contractual and constitutional concerns besides the issues with funding these bonds in the first place. Now, I'll read the conclusion section of the Bloomberg piece to you as well. Quote, Florida simply cannot promise to prospective bondholders that it won't interfere with Reedy Creek and then dissolve Reedy Creek. If Reedy Creek is ever dissolved, it would be a monumental and complicated enterprise even on a years-long timeline. The district has nine-figure annual budgets for expenditures, and even ignoring its various debts, it has a plethora of other contracts that somehow would have to be assigned to and divided between Orange and Osacola counties. However, the dissolution will have to wait until all of its bonds are paid in full, unquote. And yeah, we didn't even talk about the fact that Reedy Creek has tens of millions of dollars in additional contracts that would have to be dealt with and divided between the adjoining counties. And remember that Reedy Creek could afford these expensive contracts and bonds in part because it was, by a Florida statute, allowed to raise taxes at way higher rates than allowed in normal counties in Florida. And that's the price of doing business with the mouse, I guess. But even if dividing the debt and contractual obligations among the adjoining counties were easy... Those counties are going to have a much harder time funding those obligations because they cannot raise taxes the way that Reedy Creek could. So it is an absolute mess right now. I'll note that the bill revoking the improvement district status of Reedy Creek was about one and a half pages and passed in like two days. And I get it. The people of Florida are mad at Disney for its opposition to the parental rights education bill, aka the don't say gay law, depending on which side of the cultural war you find yourself on. And we're not going to get into that, but look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, haste makes waste. This bill is objectively a nightmare for the state of Florida and specifically for the neighboring counties who look to be absorbing billions in liabilities that they probably had no idea was coming. To say nothing of the tens of thousands of employees that Reedy Creek, through Disney, employed, which had higher wages than the surrounding counties and whose futures are now up in the air. I'm in Illinois. I have to deal with short-sighted legislation that wrecks the local economy all the time. So I'm not trying to single out Florida Republicans here. But it's a good example of the culture war spilling into the legal arena. And Because people couldn't stop and think for like five minutes, now regular people's lives are impacted. So here's the ways that this could play out if you hang with me and allow me to speculate. First, Florida could pass additional bills that would take care of the bondholders and take care of any shortfalls with respect to taxes and things like that. I think that's the most likely outcome. I think that the state of Florida will probably do their best to plug these holes up with additional bills because if they don't, I mean, you're looking at the total destruction of the budgets of the surrounding counties, which is one of the reasons why the representatives from those counties were the only people to vote against this bill in the first place. It's interesting to consider what Disney's take on this is. is As I sit here recording this, there is no lawsuit filed by Disney, which you'd think they would be interested in doing, perhaps because when you crunch the numbers, it looks as though Disney, by the dissolution of Reedy Creek, is going to receive something like over $100 million in tax breaks, actually. We should consider what happens to the bondholders in this case, which is over a billion dollars worth of bonds. As I sit here, several credit rating agencies have rated the bonds as quote, at risk. I doubt that the state of Florida is going to allow these folks to end up as bag holders on bad debt. But again, they haven't done anything yet to address that. There's the question of what happens to the employees of the Reedy Creek district. There's, as far as I know, about 400 employees, which are mostly first responders, police officers, EMS, uh, fire department, things like that. Well, the entity that employs them, Reedy Creek is going to be dissolved. So what's going to happen to their jobs? Politically, this is just as bad as it is economically, in my opinion. All things said, it looks like the state of Florida is cutting off its own nose to spite its face here. This legislation creates more problems than it solves and begs a lot of questions. I think the end result, again, if I'm allowed to speculate, is that Florida is either gonna walk this back significantly or supplement it with a more substantive round of legislation that addresses some of the issues I've mentioned. In any event, as I mentioned before, haste makes waste And a law like this probably should have been longer than at least a page and a half. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's the show. You'll notice probably last week's episode was a bit of a greatest hits compilation album, if you will. Uh, We put together a couple of stories from different episodes that everyone seemed to really like and packaged it as its own standalone episode. Uh, As you probably know, as a practicing attorney, sometimes it gets really hard to put together fresh content every week. So putting together the Greatest Hits episode last week gave me a little bit of time to prepare for the four depositions that I took. Uh, The reality is that my life as a practicing attorney will sometimes get in the way of my life as a part-time podcaster. Uh, It is what it is. I'm sure you all understand that and you all forgive me. As always, you can find new episodes on every Tuesday, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever. Uh, Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week.